passion, purpose, intention. Take the journey with Ann Richards here on Pep Talk. Hi, welcome to Pep Talk. Passion equals purpose. I'm Ann Richards, and I'm a life coach, among other things. Today, my guest on Pep Talk is Heidi Robb. The amazingly talented Heidi is a food stylist. I would say international, right? Um, I do some international work indeed, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your favorite place to that you've been? Or to, to just be in To general. work. Well, I, I would have to say that um, it's a toss-up. I, well, I loved being in Denmark, and I'll be there again uh, this June, and I've taught workshops there in the past. And I love Denmark. I love Copenhagen. It's just everything is so beautiful. It's form and function and every time I'm there it's like what did we do wrong everything is beautiful and everything works here (laughs) and it's such a nice fight culture and the food's beautiful and I don't know it's great and I also recently discovered that I like working in LA very much because just having that sun is such a wonderful thing and it does it, it does beef up your endorphins and makes you feel better and it was great to be out of Cleveland uh, in February absolutely mm-hmm. now tell us you grew up Clevelander right I did yes east mm-hmm. side uh, east side uh, grew up in well started in Shaker uh, lived there till the middle of second grade and then we moved out further east okay mm-hmm. I love to ask people because I really do that believe that passion is is something born that we're born with. So tell me when you were little, what did you love what did you love to do? Like what can you remember really loving? I can remember really loving kittens and I still do. <laughs> Do you have kittens? (laughs) I don't, but getting a new one in April. I've been without a fur baby for a few years, and I'm dying to have a new one in my life. I know someone who's giving away four. No, no, no. I have have, have one one ready. She's mine, and she'll be coming in April. And I loved nature, and I loved animals, and I loved cooking, and I loved cooking with my grandmother, who was very much in the Eastern European style of baking. I didn't really, oddly enough, I didn't really enjoy eating baked goods or cookies or sweets when I was little but Lucky I loved, you. well I don't know I, made up for it later. <laughs> I learned to love them later but I remember making gingerbread cookies and learning how to roll strudel and my grandmother having it out across the dining room table and my mother was a really really good home cook and she loved fresh foods and vegetables, and I was. In, I remember like loving artichokes, and we were making yogurt. I mean, this was back in the seventies, and she would buy mung beans, and we'd sprout them in her closet. And I like I loved cooking, and um, I would sit down when it was cold outside, and I'd take a stack of books. I also loved reading. Yeah, and I would get a chair and park myself in front of the oven, and watch food cook while I was reading. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. You needed to be warm and you were well read. I was. Did you start reading cookbooks? I started not so well. I was reading some cookbooks, but I was 
reading a lot of cooking magazines. She subscribed to Gourmet. Oh, And Gourmet was a much different magazine than it was in its later years, and it really was all about travel and all all about travel writing. It was more about travel and food, travel photography and food photography. And we didn't travel that frequently, and we never went out of the country, and it was my way to travel and eat vicariously through the recipes and the stories through Absolutely. Gourmet Magazine. The other thing I used to love was I would spend a lot of time in the woods, and I still enjoy that as well. And now I've learned a bit more about foraging, and we live near a trailhead, and I look for mushrooms. and. Oh, that's so cool. Sometimes I take them home, but usually it's just the discovery and taking pictures of those things. And yeah. Just watching them grow that's the amazing the seasons i love watching the seasons. so it, that's that was how you had that that organic love of food and cooking it was just there mm-hmm. and then you were surrounded by people that helped you elevate that passion did you go to formal training never had formal training um i never did i dove right into the restaurant business when i was 15. Oh, wow. And I, you know, I, w- I went away to school for a while. I did not go for culinary mm-hmm. education. I considered going to CIA when I was in my early 20s, and I, I did not. I just was really had the bug of working in kitchens, and I liked the camaraderie and the community, and I learned on the job. I was, yeah. I was self-taught. Yeah. Self-taught and by the people I worked with and the jobs I was given in the kitchens. Oh, my God, that's awesome. Um, and then through reading in the books, and then I chose my mentors by, by, the, by the books I was reading. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you just learned that way. Who would you say is your number one mentor? In what I'm doing now? or what I, well, Like I when you were starting. I owe my interest in cooking uh, to both my maternal influences, my mother yeah. and my grandmother. Yeah. They they were my natural mentors and I and I think of them all the time every time I prepare a meal at home both mm-hmm. of them are with me mm-hmm. that's the truth <laughs> yeah I still have some of my grandmother's cooking spoons and her bowls and I love using them whenever I can oh that's and so beautiful of my mother's and little written notes and some of her cookbooks mm-hmm. and recipe cards and I feel like she's with me in the kitchen yeah and I wish I could be cooking for both of them now. yeah and they both passed yes my grandmother when I was 10 and my mother's been gone um, almost 20 years so has that their passing has that had an influence on your health and wellness as far as what you choose to eat or perhaps not to eat no, I wouldn't say that. It has me. It had me very preoccupied with health in general and what could be familial illnesses and what to watch for and what to alert doctors to or what questions to ask um, in terms of my um, overall wellness. But I've always been a pretty healthy eater mm-hmm. all around. Um, I've spent some time doing food trends. I don't find any of that works for me fully and completely. I've been a raw foodist. I've been a vegan. I was vegetarian for quite a while. And I do incorporate all of those elements into my omnivorous diet. Mm-hmm. I, I eat very little. 
um, red meat and animal products, but I do eat them. And yeah. I'm fairly conscious in my decisions. I, I want to make sure if I'm buying it and cooking it that it's from a farmer's market or I know my source, although can't be like that all the time. In a exactly. Social, in a social environment, right. I'm going to go out to eat in other countries or I'm going to go down to Asia Town and eat things and not eat questions and just be with my friends and family and enjoy because they're delicious. Right. There's, there's a point where it becomes a little bit madness and a little bit food orexic, if that's some kind of term. But I um, eat fresh and local as much as possible. And loads of vegetables because I love them, not just because they're good for me. Right. Yeah. I'm the same. I'm drawn to them. Mm-hmm. I crave mm-hmm. big green salads. Yeah. It's just a natural craving. And I think the more that you eat for how you feel day to day, mm-hmm. it's like we were talking about celery. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about how I'm drinking a lot of celery juice because of a book that I recently read to help my liver. And it's funny, before I even read that or was referred to that by my dear friend and doctor, um, I started buying celery a few weeks before just mm. at the store randomly, like putting it on, and then I would just salt it mm-hmm. and eat it. And I think it's because I, I knew I needed those healing properties. Interesting. Before I knew about the juicing, I started to buy them. But I think that we can, if we live that way, rather than being told, right? it's just more balanced. Of course it is. I, mean, I think that's the key. Moderation is the key in so many, in so many things. Too. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many other foods and uh, behaviors in life that will also make your liver feel good, you know. Yeah. Cutting back on alcohol. (laughs) Who would have thought? (laughs) That would probably be easier than, you know, drinking 20 juices a day if I just put the bottle of wine away. That's no fun, though. Um, And then I think also, like, we're craving. I mean, we're in March already, and Cleveland is cold in winter, and we've been eating a lot of comfort foods to keep us warm for the last few months, and now it's time, like, I want something fresh and green and crunchy, Mm -hmm. and, yeah, celery is good, and I want it in my salad, and I'm starting to crave all those things. Yeah. I don't know about you. I know you were just away. When I come home from travel, I want to dive into a big green crunchy salad yeah. that's what i crave when i get home yeah. i just think it replenishes you after travel mm-hmm. what was your first job my first job my first job oh my gosh my first job and it was in food was at geauga lake park Oh, wow. A concession stand? I worked in two concession stands. This was a long time ago. So this is what I remember distinctly. Uh, So first, I worked in one area of the park by one of the roller coasters. And I had this awful uniform that I had to wear. I remember that. But, you know, you're looking at me. I have very curly hair. And I did then. (laughs) So I had to make cotton candy. And I was covered in it all the time. And And it's in your hair? Stuck in my hair. And sticky? And I would come home and my mother would, like, make me disrobe before I would come in the house. She'd leave a robe outside in the garage. And then I was moved to the Western Village. And... It was the year 
Do you remember that Farrah Fa- famous Farrah Fawcett poster? Oh, yeah, with the one-piece bathing suit. The one-piece yes, bathing suit. I love that. So it was the year that that poster <gasps> was out, and it was also on T-shirts. And I was serving chili dogs, mostly. S- serving chili dogs, and I had this other terrible uniform. I remember it was bright yellow polyester, like with burgundy rickrack all over it and puffy sleeves. It was terrible (laughs) and I had this little window this little square window that was just big enough for so many men every day all I saw were these these bellies pushing through the window with Farrah Fawcett the (laughs) t-shirts they were wearing them that image of Farrah Fawcett on the t-shirt so that's part of your memory of Geauga Lake (laughs) that's what I remember it was the summer of Farrah Fawcett yeah. on the t-shirt. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah, chili dogs and Farrah Fawcett. <laughs> That's amazing. I loved that look she had going. I really did. She was amazing. She oh, was effervescent. That is so I fun. I saw her wildly distorted in so many ways. Oh my gosh. In so many bad ways. Ouch. <laughs> so that that is a, it's an interesting first yeah i wouldn't say that gave me the cooking bug no it was a fun way to make some money in the summer and we got to ride all the rides for free i was under i wasn't 16 yet yeah and i was working there and it was it was fun it was a good time so then you spent (laughs) you spent quite a bit of time in restaurants working behind the scenes behind the scenes and then and in front of the house as well so you knew front of the house back of the house did you wait tables I did. I, I've done it all. I've and you bartended. I bartended. And I, then yeah, when I met you, I met Heidi years ago. Um, I was working at a restaurant. I was working at Marlin, which was an awesome little restaurant. Right, right, right. And I was pregnant, and Heidi walked in, and she was, I thought, really cute and pregnant, as opposed to me, just giant. No, and no, 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 not when true. we met, I think you were a pastry chef at that time. Um, this was before I was pastry chef. This was okay. I, I, be, I became pastry right. I, I was I had had Sasha, my mm-hmm. daughter Sasha. After that, I don't think Moxie was quite open yet. I think my um, ex husband was in the process. Mm-hmm. He still had Lopez and um, a restaurant at another hotel, so we hadn't opened Moxie yet. And is that where you became the pastry chef? Right. We, and I know this because Sasha was born in 95 uh-huh. and Moxie was not open until 99. Ah. Yes. Good for you. Yeah. That I remember anything. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit, a bit of a blur there. <laughs> and I, became, I became pastry chef at Moxie. Oh, and did I, you and love it? it an in, intended uh, position. I knew how to make pastry. Yeah. I was a good, solid home baker and I had been at this point I had been catering and I had um, catered with another woman we were partners and we ran all the off-premises catering for my ex and his partner for a long time and then we married and I was having a baby and after the baby I got back into the restaurant business and we were opening the restaurant and interviewing pastry chefs for yeah the position and nobody was like inspiring Solid. us to, to, mm. to sign them on. And we auditioned and we auditioned and we auditioned. And I said, you know what? I'd like to audition. I think I can do this job. And I didn't know what it meant to be a pastry chef. And it was a, you know, it was a big restaurant. There were 200 and something seats there. But I auditioned. Everybody was happy. Um, 
and I started, I took on the job of pastry chef. And it, re- and it went really well uh-huh. from the get-go. Did you love it? I did love it. I did love it. I, I enjoyed the job. I enjoyed the creative. I had a nice team with me. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your was, favorite? Uh, my favorite... Oh, it th- you know this. So a lot of these d- desserts, when I talk about them now, they feel very dated. Yeah. However, speaking of dates, there was a warm date crisp that was kind of contain- turned into a banana split. So it was a date mm. banana split with caramel sauce and grilled bananas and vanilla ice cream, and that was one of my favorite oh. favorite things. It was very cozy and comfortable. And uh, there was something else I, I remember that I loved that had. A lime curd and angel cake. It was very chiffon-y, and it was more or less like a deconstructed key lime pie. And I made homemade graham cracker, and then graham cracker, crapper, graham cracker, <laughs> graham cracker crumbs. That's hard. You try to say that. Graham cracker crumbs. Graham cracker crumb. Graham cracker crumb. <laughs> but I had developed this chocolate on chocolate on chocolate dessert called the baked hot chocolate, and it was kind of a trompe l'oeil because it was served in a in a in a mug so it looked like a cup of hot chocolate topped with cream and I made these little moxie m twills that were perched just so on the side of the mug and it was really nice because it it, it's a dessert that I believe people have made in different guises now all over ad infinitum since then yeah this was back in you know 99 um it was kind of crispy baked and crispy on the top and it was warm and then it was a little softer and it was molten at the bottom and it really was the I'm sorry, it's still on the menu, but it was the oh. best when I was there. Oh. And they know it. And I wish they'd take it off the menu because it is not it's as It's not good. the same. It's not the same. It's not the same, and I don't know why. Isn't that wild? If they're following what you did, so there's some sort of blessing you give it that makes it taste or better. maybe they're not using the same chocolate. Not all chocolate behaves the same, and they can't handle temperatures the same. And right. Uh, similarly, I... I, I you know, put a lot of thought into it. And while I was there, I baked wedding cakes, two wedding cakes, only two um, ever in my life. But they were, they came out <laughs> really They were the best damn wedding cake ever. They were beautiful. And both of them were for people in the restaurant business. I had baked one for the wedding of Lori, who was the food editor, the plain dealer at the time, and her husband, Michael Sonten, who had a restaurant Tutu at Posto over on Larchmere. Oh, yeah. And then I also baked the wedding cake for Liz and Michael Simon. Ah, so what did they have? They had, it was so beautiful. They had a fall wedding, and I combined their favorite flavors. So nothing, it was not a traditional type of wedding cake. Mm -hmm. We had flavors of chocolate and coffee and caramel and banana and it was beautiful and there was a mocha buttercream and it was very simply garnished with um chocolate espresso beans that were had a little bit of gilding and fresh flowers and some fresh uh, french copper wire and i think the other cake that i had baked was a um was a genoise with dark chocolate and passion fruit in it they were both really beautiful. It I was mean, so much stress. My, I don't know my mouth is watering now so much with all this talk <laughs> of molten lava and hot caramel. And mm. <laughs> I'm it's craving so, something right now. You know what the funny oh. thing is? I totally lost my taste for sweets when I was baking. And, and, and 
I return to that wanting desserts after I had stepped away from yeah. it for a couple because years. Because you're around them so much. Around it. Yeah. It's intense. It's very heady. And you're like wear, literally wearing it. <laughs> so. Yeah. And then smelling. Then smelling like it <laughs> all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I worked in the restaurant, I just remember going home. I worked in New York as, as a server. And I remember I get, oh, taking those clothes off and just... The stench was always on top of everything right, right, I wore. Right. Um, so, like most people that I talk to or have about pa- their passions, it is a um, interesting background. And I described it in my opening about, you know, I always loved acting and theater and then the ins and outs of that and how it weaved through my whole life. And now I'm teaching and I'm back in front of people. It's right. almost like live theater. Um, so you were a pastry chef, and then now, as I said to our listeners, which I should have clarified, you are a chef, you've been in the business, I said you're a food stylist. So where did that, when you were a pastry chef, did you think to yourself, hey, now I'm going to be a food stylist? Or how did that, how did that happen? How did that transition mm-hmm. happen? Well. It's, it's interesting because when I was a pastry chef, I, I was also a mother. Of, I had two young children at home, um, and my mother was ill, and a lot of things were happening, so I really wasn't thinking about much in the future at that time except addressing what, right, what was right in front of me mm-hmm. moment by moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a wonderful and, and really sad time in my life simultaneously. Uh, so what happened... In the future was I stayed in the restaurant business for a while. I was married into the restaurant business and, and after that marriage um, dissolved, I made a commitment to myself that I wanted out of the restaurant business fully and completely. So I was living on my own and still had two young children. I was also catering. I al- always simultaneously had a catering business on the side. And well, this was after I was being a pastry chef, still involved in the restaurant business, but less so. Uh, I had a, a, a very niche market catering business with um, uh, a woman, Karen Gorman, and we did very high-end, multi-course sit-down dinners. Actually, she and I are the ones who had run all of the, the catering for the old Lopez, and when I had talked about running the catering mm-hmm. business before in Cafe Brio also now defunct, um, she and I had this high-end catering business, which allowed us to really do the kind of cooking we wanted to do without opening a restaurant. So we would design these beautiful parties around cooking out of the French Laundry cookbook and, and, and that type of inspiration. We did really beautiful, precious food. It took a lot of time. Mm-hmm. We learned a lot. We were learning on the job. And that continued. I mean, we had that business on and off for 22 years. So I always had my hand in, the, in that business. I knew that I wanted to work in food. I did not want to get back into the restaurant business. Uh, so I was catering. I had taken on personal chef clients. I was cooking raw vegan food for two families, and I was cooking a very omnivorous families with children, working parents with children diet, uh, and that was happening every week. I was also bartending. I was bartending at Sarava. 
I was teaching yoga. Oh, my gosh. I had five jobs. There is another one I keep forgetting. I don't know what it is. And so, you were, so you were in survival mode. I was in survival mode. I didn't know what a food stylist was. I was doing recipe testing and recipe development. So so still all in the food-based, all, all the love. All yoga, I was yeah. still, because it's what I knew. I had been mm-hmm. working in the food industry since I was 15 years old. And I was, again, kind of just taking one step at a time, living moment, moment by moment, trying to figure out what I was going to do. I knew I was in a big moment of transition I feel like this happens to me like every 10 years or so something needed to happen I knew I could not live working at the pace that I was five different jobs taking care of my children making sure that I was getting enough rest and that everybody was being taken care of that was the part that kind of went down the toilet and then Michael Simon had called me to work on his first book this was right after he had won the um, Iron Chef competition and asked me to do the recipe work on the job with him. So this was while all this other stuff is going on. And the, and the work with him was gradual work, but it was over the course of the year. So w- there were different parts of the book. So while I was working with Michael, uh, we were working some of this out of his home. Some of the work was remote and some of the work was out of his home. I would communicate with work uh, work at the home with Michael and Liz and Michael Roman, who was authoring the book. He was also there, and I would communicate with him. I would communicate with Michael, and Michael one day said, "Oh, f- uh, Food Network. They had a show called Dear Food Network." He said they're coming to shoot some holiday episodes out of the house. Would you like to assist the stu- the food stylist? And I said, "Sure." What's a food stylist? <laughs> you had no idea. I had no idea what a food stylist was. I knew that food showed up in pictures. Yeah. I know. I knew it was in magazines. Looking good. I knew it was in books. I knew it was on billboards and packaging and on television. But somehow it just never even occurred to me that there was somebody hired for the job to make the food look beautiful to get it on, on yeah. the plate. I thought, oh, maybe the photographer is doing it or he has a chef there or the author is making it. I had no idea. Anyway, I said, yes, I'd love to. And when the production came in, I worked with this um, mentor of mine, Greg Lofts, who was a freelance food stylist out of New York at the time. And we worked together really well, enjoyed each other's company. Everything was on point, And I loved the whole experience. I loved the collaboration and being involved with a production that was working towards the greater good. And I told him I wanted to come to New York. I wanted to learn, I wanted to learn, I wanted to learn. I had no idea that there would be any opportunity in Cleveland for any kind of work at that level. Mm -hmm. Little did I know that we have so much built-in business here in Cleveland in the food industry. There was work here, but I just didn't even think to pursue it. It's funny, Heidi. I worked for a photographer when I moved back here, so that was around 92, 93 maybe, and he did all sorts of different work, but one of the, he did some food, and they had a woman come in, I don't recall her name, and I watched her, and I was in awe, because what you see in the picture, and how they got it, it was like she was gluing things together, like like dyeing things, like it was, it was a, um, it was a work of art combined with a, a chemistry experiment of how to get it all so... And a lot of technique. Oh, and, and it was grueling. 
Mm-hmm. It was it was not easy. Well, luckily, I mean, some of that still happens. If mm-hmm. you're in your really tight commercial photography, like in a lot of fast food and packaging, that kind of styling occurs. But I'm so grateful for the trend of things looking more natural, yeah. and more editorial. Yeah. That's my favorite. That's my strength. I love to cook. I love to eat. I want to create food that is beautiful and appetizing and keeps it real you know it's more home aspirational do you think you love do you love the styling right now more than you did the cooking well cooking or the baking i loved i loved the baking at the time right it was very exciting so it served you then it served me then i felt and then it was time to and it's interesting so many people and i and i want our, our listeners to always know this there is a lot, long path, and it's got a lot of bumps. I like to say that we this life is a classroom, and it's a constant learning. And unless you understand your learning, it can be a very, very sour journey. There are so many times like you had, taking care of kids, surviving, all these jobs. And it's almost like you get to this point, most people have some sort of a breakdown. Mm-hmm which I call a breakthrough <laughs> because it really is. You're at this point in your life, it's happened to me, where you're so confused, lost, overwhelmed, but f- overwhelmed, but still doing what you love, and you're about to give up because you don't know what's, what is going on, and then boom, you get that breakthrough, which was this job because then it ignited, wow, and you knew. Well, what that, what? That job, well, what being introduced, well, I haven't, yeah, yeah, I haven't got to the point where I got to the food styling part. I ended up going to, I did end up going to New York two years later, but once being introduced to the world of food styling, it's not like once I was introduced to it, I could work at it full right. time. But it sparked. It, cl- it clarified mm-hmm. things for me. And it wasn't, it wasn't a matter as I was going after my passion. Because I hadn't, I didn't even know about this until it happened. I right. Mean, a lo- passion is great. I was surviving. I needed to work. Mm-hmm. And luckily, while I was in the process of working, you know, I still hadn't found that one. I wasn't doing the one thing that was allowing allowing me to take it to the next level. Yeah. Where I wanted to do this fully and completely. Right. But once I got into food styling, and once I. F- I came back to Cleveland and I was introduced to photo studios and started assisting here. I was able to systematically let go of those other jobs one by one by one by one by one. But even even before that happened, you know, I had I had told I had I had told you that I thought I would never revisit the restaurant business mm-hmm. again. So um, Karen, who had been my partner came to me with a proposition to open a restaurant with her and it was a very 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 appealing proposition and I knew we could do it and I knew we'd be great at it yeah but the more the planning became solid and the closer we got to signing the lease I noticed my what my gut was saying every time I would speak to someone and say I'm opening a restaurant it wasn't like the pre-wedding jitters kind of stomach ache. Like I literally wanted to throw up and it wasn't feeling comfortable to me. And I was in a very tough place because 
we had done a lot of work and we were ready to hit send and this was my dear friend and my dear colleague and I kept saying to myself just because we can do this doesn't mean we should this isn't feeling good this isn't feeling good and we had a heart-to-heart conversation and I told her that I wasn't going to pursue the restaurant challenging isn't it it was we went through a lot of Kleenex but there's a good reason why she's my dear friend she understood she understood and that freed up time for me to go away and be with my thoughts and be in countries where I didn't listen to, to English I went over to Southeast Asia for a while and I'm like, I can do this now because I'm not working in a restaurant. And I don't, I knew then I learned something big about myself that I did not want to fold. I didn't want a nine to five. I didn't want to be committed to something that I could not leave at the end of the day. I wanted yeah. to be more in, in control of my future and my destiny. Yeah. So the freelancing life of a food stylist appealed to me. It's crazy. I mean... I'm at a point where it's not as crazy as it was, but while I was trying to become established in the community and develop client loyalty, it was crazy for a while, you know? The hours. The hours, the freelancing, too. You don't know what's coming. You don't know what isn't. Yeah, you don't know what's happening next month. No, but I (laughs) did know that I loved everything about it. Yeah. Even the moments that were hard and challenging. Yeah. I loved them because it was new, and I'm glad that I came to this later in life because mm-hmm. I really really appreciate it and I don't take any of it for granted I really really do yeah so I went to New York and I worked on food shows for a while Greg brought me on my father had passed away um, caring for him had prevented me from leaving town for a while and after he passed I, I went to New York and I worked on food shows and I learned I learned from some of the best people and I still have that education with me on my shoulder every single day it's really a sense of not disappointing not um, you know making sure you come through for everybody being part of the greater good yeah everybody working together and being on point always mm-hmm bringing the client's vision, the, 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 the show's vision, whatever it is, the whole the whole part of it. I love that. I mean, these cooking shows now are just addictive and so popular. I mean, hugely popular. When you, when you were on them, was it just, was it that kind of the beginning of the popularity with? Mm, no, it wasn't the beginning, but I would say it was more interesting. It was more of the, of the, of the demise, not the final, like the, not the final end, not the nail in the coffin, but it was really getting towards the end of the the younger interest in stand and stir cooking shows where somebody is yeah. cooking and they're at the counter and they're making wonderful recipes. I think, I mean, I know that the younger audience was more into a lot of these competition shows, yes. which... Honestly, I never watch them. They give me a lot of anxiety. Oh my gosh, I bet they do. <laughs> it just it just takes all of the joy of cooking yes. away for me. What was the show you worked on first? So I worked on, um, it was on Hallmark, but it was a Martha Stewart production. It was ca- called Mad Hungry, and the talent was Lucinda Scala Quinn. She was the uh, senior food editor at Martha Stewart Living. Wonderful, wonderful woman. 
beautiful family. She cooks beautiful food. She is just down to earth and lovely, lovely, lovely. I enjoyed every minute of that show, ah. although so much of it was just grueling, and it was the first time I had so just been thrown into New York. Would you? Well, give me an example of what you would have to do for an episode. What was your job? Well, this is funny. So Greg brought me on. Well, uh, Greg brought me on to work on the culinary crew. So we're the magic elves that make everything happen in the kitchen. We make sure that everything is set for the talent to come on to start cooking. Everything is measured, ready. We have all the swaps. So we have her beginning preparation. We have what's happening after it's in the next stage and maybe on the stove. And then we have the final swap which will be like what's coming out of the oven and it's already done and beautiful so there are so many stages and we're doing multiple shows a day it's a lot and it's wonderful and we're all working like busy 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 bees in the kitchen and it can be very very stressful but it's great anyway so I was brought on to be a part of that so I arrived to New York and I was really lucky I was able to um, stay with my stay with a cousin so I didn't have to look for a place to rent. That was really nice. That was out of the way and decided. And as soon as I arrived to New York, I meet up with Greg and he said there have been some changes with the budget. And I know that I brought you on to be on culinary in the kitchen. He said, but we had to lose a shopper, but we still need a shopper. So I'm going to need you to handle the show shopping and then work on culinary as well. And I I, for, I like didn't even know what that meant. All I just looked at him. I said, so you're, bra- you're giving the girl from out of town who only knows New York by cab and has never been on a subway <laughs> <laughs> this huge job of shopping for all of these shows all of this beautiful food and we had a really beautiful bu- budget and everything needed to be pristine and perfect and exact and he we went out for a drink and he said this is how it's going to go the first couple of weeks he said you're going to hate what you're doing you're going to hate me you're going to cry I, he ran through a whole litany of like all these negative negative things that could potentially happen and all of them did and he said but then everything's going to be great and you're going to love it and you're going to be fine which is what happened which is what happened but I remember one day (laughs) I just sat down with all of these groceries like in the middle of Chelsea on on this beautiful side street I just sat down on this stoop and I started crying because I was like I don't know what the hell I'm doing how am I going to get all this done? It is so much. I mean, it was overwhelming. I didn't have a car and we didn't have a driver. So, I, And then there was a budget with cabs. So I was trying to keep all of this in mind. And there would be like these crazy days. And Craig would call me or text me. And he said, like, I need you to go to Union Square. And I need you to go to this one vendor. And they're going to be closing soon. And I know this one guy has plums but you can't just have any plums and the plum has to my vision is to have a plum with a red meaty center (gasps) so don't come back without those and then I'm going to need basil and I need it in a pot and I would drop what I I could have very well been in the middle of like 
Whole Foods in Chelsea with three full carts, and I would either have to park them or just abandon them completely. And run to Union Square. Get to Union Square in whichever matter I can. Yeah. But it could have been the day that Obama was in town and everything was blocked, and I would have... Massive gridlock. Massive gridlock, and... Greg calling, you know, when are you going to be back? When are you going to be back? When are you going to be back? And I am in a total panic, ready to have a heart attack. I get to Union Square, and I find the plums, and I find that basil, and I am so happy, and I am, like, almost back to the studio, and he'll call and say, we scrapped that episode, or we scrapped that that recipe. You need to go back to Whole Foods. And get your carts and come back to mm-hmm. set as soon as you can. Mm-hmm. And I would just be like, oh, my God. Anyway. It's funny because, <laughs> as I said, I worked in the photography. And I did a lot of shopping for clothes. And I'd have to amass clothes for the people in the shoots. And I remember that same feeling. But it's easier when you're in Cleveland and you have a car and you know exactly where you're going. Exactly. And I would shop and shop and shop. And it would be like, we'll, we need a blue shirt. And I knew... I had to get seven blue shirts. Mm-hmm. And I would just overbuy everything. And it was usually under the gun, like that, the pressure. And then I'd bring it all back, and they'd say, well, we want red. <laughs> and then you could go, go back out. Back. So I get what you're saying, but the New York, the pressure is is different. And you're thrown into that fire because you're not a New Yorker. No, but you know, it, it ended up. You there, loved it. There was a lot of magic that was happening. You know, once after after that two weeks initiation period, I got into a groove and I figured out my ordering and I was like, I'm really lucky. I am learning all of New York. I'm forging relationships with all of these wonderful vendors who produce all this beautiful food all around the city and I'm out and the weather's nice and I'm not, you know, in, not stuck there and I'm out and, and I had like all these songs that would be in my head and I would kind of like who's that song that's like um, I'm all alone in the supermarket do you know which one? Oh, it's um, The Clash The Clash, The Clash like all alone in, in the, the supermarket, supermarket. Yeah. <laughs> you came up with it I was like every time I was in a hurry and I'd be in a, in a grocery store you'd have like a new that, theme I, I would have that and I had different songs I love days. it I <laughs> always ask people like you have to have your your anthem that kind of is your song mm-hmm. do you have one or do you have a favorite who's your favorite band oh gosh singer I, that is so hard. I because mean, I think do you at love certain points in my life, yeah. I could have been more exacting about that. But it's more like what songs, now it's like what songs or what playlists were happening at certain jobs and certain points in my life. Oh, like yeah. I will Triggers be memories. on a shoot and for some reason there'll be like this one playlist that's happening all the time. And every time I hear the music from maybe that playlist, it takes me back. Oh, yeah. I remember when I was in Nashville on one certain job and the photographer was playing a lot of Sinead O'Connor. So now whenever I hear a Sinead O'Connor, oh, I, love I think her. about that job. Or uh, like a couple years ago, I was working on a job in Boston and the playlist, uh, like the Spotify list was Sun Little. And it's like everybody that's on like that Sun Little radio playlist, I think of, I go back to that job. So it's more about feelings associated with moments and jobs and the music that goes with them so i i don't know but i do happen to make up 
a lot of songs and change change words when I'm on the job just to kind of keep myself going. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Summer beans make me feel fine. Oh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Instead of summer breeze. Right, right. <laughs> oh, that is really well, funny. The farmer's market, you know? Yes. <laughs> that is hysterical. It's your own little game. I know. I need to write these little things. You should. Too. I used to. I kept a journal when I was in New York, too. So as t- exhausted as I would be at the end of the day, and, I, and, I, and all these people I worked with became my family. I was alone. I was alone, and my cousin was out of town a lot. When he was in town, we'd grab bites and share wine at the end of the night sometime, but I would force myself to go out to dinner almost every single night, and every single Saturday, I would just pick a different part of the city to explore. Like, I would have a date with me day, but I would take myself out to dinner and sit at a counter, and... I would eat a good meal and I would talk to people next to me and, and you know when people realize you're out of town or maybe they're traveling um, people reveal things about themselves that they maybe wouldn't talk about with anybody else so yeah. I had this little I can't find my journal but I had this little book and I had like I called it my 15 minute friends <sighs> so I would hear the most bizarre things or really intimate things really touching things or I'd run into people in the grocery store and they'd see things see items in my grocery cart and they're like oh gosh what do you do with this what are you doing why do you have so many groceries and they'd start telling me stories about what they do with that food or or their daughter's favorite dish and how she I remember this one woman gave me this whole pasta recipe like right there in the grocery store and I wrote it down I was also blogging at the time to also so some of these stories were in my blog yeah. but I I love that and and it was really important that I went out and socialized every single night. I could not rely on the people I work with. They had that this, this was their life. They weren't on vacation there. Right. They weren't there to keep me company. They yeah. went home to their lives and their children's and their partners and whatever. So I had to kind of create this little life for myself. And what was your favorite place there at the time? What was my favorite place in New York for food? Oh gosh, so, 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 so many places to go. But I remember I would go to, um, uh, was it Pearl's Oyster Bar? Pearl's, oh, I'm trying to, I'm, Mary's Fish Camp. I would go to, oh Pearl's yeah. Pearl's the other, they, they used to yeah, be the other. Yeah, I've been Mary's there. Mary's Fish Camp, I would sit at a lot. Yeah. Because I really miss having that kind of seafood and I would also go to little Italian places a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to get off at Christopher Street and just, all oh, the West Village. I used to do a lot of West Village. Lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sorry on the spot. I, I have a whole list of places that I used to eat. I was living midtown, so a lot, like I was near Central Park South, and there were a lot of the places around there were really high-end pricey and um, really not as casual as I wanted to do at yeah. the end of the day. So I would just pick another stop somewhere and... I would go all over the place. Now, before I, um, I'm going to ask you to show a picture too from your cook, from cookbooks that you actually did the food styling. When you were in New York and you were doing the shows, um, is there a, a story of you can think of, either really tragic or really funny, <laughs> with with maybe one of these shows, like where maybe everything went wrong, and then or everything was about to go wrong, or everything, something really, like, that you remember, like a big event. Honestly, Working no. on any of the shows. Or was it all good, smooth sailing? I, I, since I was largely 
out of the studio. If mm-hmm. anything like that was happening, I wasn't aware of it. It was more that pressure was on Greg, who was the lead stylist on yeah. that job. And by the time I got back and was working in the kitchen, we were just basically prepping, prepping and mm. building um Did you have any swaps. big, were there any big personalities? Did you ever meet Martha Stewart? I met Martha Stewart, but I met Martha Stewart here in Cleveland oh. um, when she was in for the Fabulous Food Shows a few years ago. I had dinner with, Greg was in town assisting her, and we had dinner at uh, Lolita. How was that? It was good. She was, was great. She yeah, was? Yeah, she was fine. She was she was exactly how I expected, and, and she was conversational and funny and a lot on her phone like being very like she was texting her grandchildren a lot which I thought thought was super sweet Mm -hmm. and it was really nice and you worked Heidi also told me she worked with the cake boss what's his name Buddy Velastro Buddy that's it because my kids watch that show so on the corner of my ear I would sometimes be hearing it in the house they love Buddy yeah. How was your experience that with Buddy? Uh, it was very different than the experience I had on Mad Hungry. So after Mad Hungry wrapped, a new proje- a new um, production was coming in, and it was Buddy Velastro's um, kitchen boss. He had a stand and stir show for two years, and this was going to be the first season. And they wanted to re- it was the same studio, and they wanted to retain all of us to stay on and, and work on his show. And then somehow, which would have meant I would have stayed in New York. Meanwhile, I was in New York, but I still came back to Cleveland every single month because we worked three weeks, and then I was home for another week to ten days. So I was commuting for all of this time, come home, visit my kids, rest, mm-hmm. and uh, just take care of things that I needed to take care of here. So... I still had my place here, and then the producer came to me and said, I understand that you do recipe recipe development. We're going to shoot in a few weeks, and we don't have any recipes. Can you develop the recipes for us? So talented. <laughs> so crazy. So I said, yes, I can do that, uh, but I can't do it here because I was staying with my cousin. It was a temporary situation for him, so we didn't really have a full kitchen. I had a microwave. I said, I need a kitchen, and I need a car. I need to go back to Cleveland. Can we work remote? And she said, yeah, let's do it. So I went back to Cleveland, and I developed recipes. Um, I think it was about 250 recipes per season for Kitchen Boss. I did all the recipes and then I went back to New York and I worked on set for the last two weeks oh my gosh 250 recipes yes was that just a um uh, it sounds daunting to me was that did it just flow Uh, from you it was a little bit crazy I was doing it out of my my home and I didn't have an assistant full-time so it was a lot piling up at home so it was a lot I was working I remember one day I went up to Heinen's in my pajamas (laughs) to shop oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) that's like my dream in the morning I put my coat on but I was very obviously in my pajamas oh my gosh I like yeah, it you was absolutely kind of do not care, and I would uh, just collapse and yeah. fall asleep on the couch, like in my clothes, and get up, wash all the dishes, and get started again. Wow, but it worked out well. It was insanity. I didn't realize how insane it was at the time until mm-hmm. I'd actually, until I did it again the next year, and it was much smoother. And I had an assistant full time, yeah, and, and I had a lot more information on the front end. They were just kind of just throwing it to the wall the first season. But he was good to work with. The first year we did it in Manhattan. The second year we did it in New Jersey. And 
it worked out well. I mean, it was real. I mean, he's very who he is, and the family was on, and it, it was just a, it was a whole different, whole different life experience, whole different experience. You've had so many, and I love them all. I mean, I really take away so much from every job that I have on, good or bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's um, if you could show the cookbook. So Heidi works t- a lot with um. Yeah, Vitamix. Yeah, who's your local local person? Can you bring both of those over? Sure. Yeah. So and I don't so really I, work on shows anymore. I work right, mostly in print on, and on in motion. Doing cookbooks. Yeah. So the Vitamix is cool because I have one, and I should get this book so I know better. Get a new Vitamix. It will be included. Oh really? Yes. It's a beautiful book. You can I, also find it at Williams Sonoma. I'm I mean, sure. oh okay, because there are some things here I should be making that I have not, but. These pictures, these were done locally. The, f- the photography was shot by Nathan Drymiller, who is here in Cleveland, and he works out of Gris Studio. I did all the food, and mm. all the set styling was by it um, is art director Kelly Schaefer. It's absolutely gorgeous. Isn't it beautiful? Yes. This is beautiful work. Thank you. Um, this is the book, Simply Blending Vitamix. Um it's extraordinary. I like it because, like you say, it's real. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not. It's not fake. It looks really nice. This book, New Way to Food, a new way is a food. new cookbook. Yeah, this this cookbook was just released in February, and it's by the author Maggie Batista. F- uh, photographs are by Kristen Teague. She's out of Boston and California, and Maggie is also out of Boston. And it's a really beautiful book. And I'm not just talking about the images. It's it's a beautiful personal journey. This mm-hmm. is not a diet book. It is Maggie's story of self-love and mm-hmm. finding her way to self-love, self, you know, loving her body, loving her image, loving the person who she is. And so she, this is I you. I love her too. Yes. Yes, this yes, picture, which yes, makes me yes. again that want to go out so and delicious. eat this. What would, what do you call it? It's kind of like a disassembled spring roll. It's beautiful. Mm. It's very Vietnamese in spirit, and it's crunchy and crispy and sweet and salty. And oh. I love it so much. It's really refreshing. I mean, it makes me so hungry. This is a beautiful book. Your work is beautiful to have on a coffee table, and just look at it. It's so nice. Thank you. I love it. We ate so well on this shoot. Oh, I remember eating that for lunch. <laughs> it was Roasted chipotle chicken. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Spring roll salad. It was nice. This I is incredible. In for that one too, outside. Yeah. In Boston. Mm-hmm. Um. So, this is currently where where you're spending your time is traveling, and locally, mm-hmm. and doing food styling for cookbooks no not not that often for foot for cookbooks i do maybe a one book a year i mostly work in the commercial world so i'm doing work for packaging mm. and for um advertisements ah. and and for videos and those little what i don't know if it's gif or jif i still have no idea but i i make them all the time the little animated and mm. uh Web web recipes and web presences and Cashew motion milk. commercial Yum. tutorials, <laughs> all all kinds, any kind of anywhere that you see food yeah. images disseminated, that's the kind of work I'm doing. I love doing c- 
cookbooks as well. I just am not doing them as often. Yeah. So if you want to, um, we could tell story after story and go on here for so long because Heidi, Heidi's background and all the places she's done and worked is really fantastically interesting. She has a website. It is Heidi Rob. It is HeidiRob.com. R-O-B-B. R-O-B-B. HeidiRob.com. She also has an Instagram, and you should check it out because it's really beautiful. And follow her on the Instagram and reach her if you need some food styling that's exquisite. (laughs) Okay, it has to be you want exquisite work, nothing less than that, (laughs) I'm telling you from these pictures. And... um, as you know, you can reach me with questions for coaching at com. I'm also going to tell Heidi that she perhaps should come on my Italy retreat because it's in Tuscany in September, and there's yoga and wine, vino and vinyasa. Oh, and it's and in beautiful, the beautiful hillside food. of Tuscany with delicious food, and it's all um, taken care of. So you get on the plane. And relax, and you wouldn't think about anything for about a week. Does that yeah, sound good? That sounds divine. <laughs> that sounds divine. And you could probably take some nice pictures. Do you take pictures yourself? I take pictures as a hobby. I, I'm not a professional photographer by any stretch of the imagination. That would be an insult to every professional photographer out there. I love to take pictures on my phone. Yeah. I have a little Fuji that I take when I travel. Mm-hmm. I love the sharing through Instagram. Yeah. I love imagery and uh, yeah. I love the journaling um, aspect of taking pictures of food and, and other things. I love I loved taking pictures. I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so check out her Instagram. It's really beautiful. And then check out mine and pictures of us because I will have one up there. Um, if you had to tell someone and it's funny because my daughter is has a little um, Instagram, and it's called her name's Isabella, and it's called Belle Appetite. Oh, and when I, I told it. her, she was like, "Mom, how could I work for her?" So, what would you tell people who are interested in this business? Maybe not necessarily they're going to be a food stylist. Maybe they want to be a food photographer. Maybe they want to write recipes. What What would you tell them to do? Well, first, I would make. I would want them to know how to cook or learn how to cook. Mm-hmm. Whether And I'm not suggesting that somebody needs to go to culinary school. Right. Um, I, I'm not taking anything away from culinary school, but it wasn't my way, and I know so many people who succeeded without culinary school. Um, but start cooking at home cooking yeah. because you enjoy it. Find what you're good at. Become familiar with shopping and looking at food and selecting produce and other ingredients and learning how they behave from the selection process through the preparation process and start plating some things for yourself at home and reach out to photography photographers who shoot food and to stylists and see if they want assisting and and not so much for what you can learn from them but how you can how you are able to help them and then you will be able to learn at the same time yeah 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 so go and maybe you can shadow or watch a shoot and just be curious about it Mm -hmm. and i think if you're interested in photography start taking pictures and maybe go to photo school or take some photo photography classes i know they have some great ones here at at tri-c and Mm -hmm. probably other places around Great. Start yeah, just cooking. start doing it. Start doing it. Start doing it. Stop talking, start, start doing. doing. Yeah. yeah. You may it, it, 
if you're pa being passionate about something is one thing it can get you motivated but you need to know if it's something that is sustainable for you too yeah yeah absolutely Heidi, thank you. Thank you. Oh, it's been a treat. So I told you. I told you it's great. I know. We'll have to do maybe part two. Or maybe we'll have to do, I don't know. Suddenly I want to do a cooking show. Anyway, you never know. Maybe that's our next, that's on the path. We'll see. Thank you so much for listening. Please send me your questions and your comments to annrichardsinspires.com or Instagram me or tweet me, follow me on Facebook. And thanks so much. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Love you. Thank you.